What is going on, everybody? Guys, welcome back to another amazing, very exciting episode of the Superman Life. As always, guys, I'm your host, Frank Rich. And before we dive into today's guest and conversation, I just want to take a moment and remind you how incredibly grateful and thankful we're to have you here with us today. Joining me on the show is none other than Dr. Jeffrey Bland, a world-renowned nutritional medicine expert, father of functional medicine, and founder of Big Bold Health, a company on a mission to transform the way people think about one of nature's greatest innovations, the immune system. Jeffrey's career in health spans more than 40 years, and he has traveled the world many times over in his role as the father of functional medicine. In 1991, he founded the Institute for Functional Medicine. In 2012, he founded another educational nonprofit called the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute. Jeffrey is also the author of The Disease Delusion, Conquering the, the Causes of Chronic Illness for a Healthier, Longer, and Happier Life, as well as countless additional books and research papers. Guys, this is a truly beautiful conversation around the importance of managing and controlling our immunity to set us up for a life of purpose, meaning, and ultimately living the longest life that we can. In the conversation, Dr. Bland and I explore the impact of a colorful diet on our health and immunity. We talked about Himalayan tartary buckwheat and the stress-resistance plants on immune health. Guys, we talked about and discussed the microbiome and gut health, and you're going to learn the role of pre and pro, uh, probiotics, as well as the power of immunorejuvenation to enhance immunity and increase longevity. You're also going to uncover the significance of minimally processed omega-3 fatty acid oils and providing anti-inflammatory benefits. And we're going to discuss lifestyle, lifestyle factors as far as programmed exercise, simple activities like walking and the critical role of quality sleep as well as living a purposeful and meaningful life and how these play into our immune health. Guys, this is some really groundbreaking things here with the work that Dr. Jeffrey Glenn is bringing to the conversation. So if you stick around, you're going to get key insights, secrets to healthy immunity and longevity. But before we get into the episode, if you're getting value out of this and you want to continue to support the show, you can support us in one of two ways. First off, if you haven't done so yet, if you're listening on the audio, so guys, we are so grateful for every single one of you out there, whatever platform you are listening on. But if you could take a moment and leave us a five-star rating and, and written review, it would mean the absolute world to me. But more importantly, if somebody needs to hear this conversation, maybe they're struggling with some of these immune health issues. Maybe they haven't yet uncovered the secrets to longevity. Do us the favor and then the blessing by sharing today's conversation. Without further ado, guys, let's get into today's episode, episode 234 with Dr. Jeffrey Bland, The Secrets to Immunity and Longevity. God bless you guys, and we'll see you on the other side. Welcome to The Superhuman Life. I'm your host, Frank Rich, and this is the only podcast in the world that is dedicated to helping men level up in the five key areas of life. Each week, we bring you real and raw conversations with the world's leading experts in faith, fitness, finance, family, and freedom to provide you with real actionable tools to break limiting beliefs, take action, and shatter the glass ceiling on your life's potential. So jump on board and join me on this journey as we dive into today's conversation and unlock the keys to you becoming the man you were born to be and creating your own superhuman life. Dr. Bland, you are regarded as the father of functional medicine, and I'd love to start us off here today with Maybe you haven't us define or describe what is functional medicine and how does that maybe differ 
from your traditional, you know, Western type of medicine. Yeah, thank you, uh, Frank. And it's really a privilege to be part of your your program. I think you do a fantastic job of uh, bringing really useful information out of your guests. And I, I feel very, very uh, pleased to have this chance to explore some of these topics that have been part of my life here for the last 77 years. So my, even saying 77 years is a little bit uh, scary to me. I'm almost coming up next month to my 78th birthday. So it's like, wow. Well, it's truly inspiring by by your look, man. So, you know, it gives us all something to uh, to kind of shoot for, right? Well, thank you. I don't know how and these maybe it shows birthdays... that the things that we're talking about here today work and, and there are actually some so. truth behind it, right? <laughs> I hope so. So um, the functional medicine model for me kind of grew up over many, many years of, of being um, influenced by all sorts of uh, extraordinary individuals, probably starting with my father and, and my mother to an extent as well. Uh, then I was very fortunate to meet mentors that took me under their wings kind of over the years, a couple of Nobel Prize winners that I I had the privilege of working for, uh, one of who was uh, in my undergraduate work at, at the University of California, Irvine back in the 60s. And then second was uh, uh, Dr. Linus Pauling, two-time Nobel Prize winning uh, laureate from Stanford. And and um, I worked under him in the 80s when I was a professor on sabbatical. So these individuals kind of uh, grew my thinking about uh, what I could do with my background and training. And I've, I've always been very interested in the concept of uh, why do people get sick? Um, it's been really the driving force for me. And my mother would say, even going back into when I was very little, I was always asking those questions. And uh, I think it's really important to know when a person is sick, but it may be even more important to ask how do they get sick and how do we do something to keep them from getting sick again, rather than just treating the effect that maybe we ought to be looking at the cause. And so that begs the question, what is the cause? And really there are two different uh, major, well, actually probably three different major uh, reasons why people get sick. Um, one of which is a result of injuries and uh, you know things that happen, as they say, life is what happens in between our plans. And all of us over the course of living have things happen to us that we just have to deal with. Um, and so injuries can be one. Uh, second uh, is something we've all experienced, and that's infection. So communicable diseases, infectious disorders. And medicine is pretty good at managing those. Maybe we would say not so good with SARS-CoV-2, but historically we've been pretty good uh, in managing bacterial illnesses, communicable illnesses. Uh, we have got a whole range of drugs. We've got called antibiotics that treat bacterial and fungal infections. We're not so many drugs for treating viral infections, but but we've been pretty good in the in the um, in the side of infectious disease, particularly by using sanitation, hygiene, and nutrition. And I want to emphasize that that it's interesting to note that the major advances in human longevity uh, really have occurred as a consequence of, of lowering the incidence of life-threatening or life-extinguishing infectious disease. And people might claim credit that medicine has done this, but medicine really was laid on top of uh, changes that occurred at the turn of the last century uh, when we started introducing public health, sanitation, nutrition, and hygiene, taking uh, uh, the concept that there are bugs that could be in our air, water, or food that could create sickness, and that we needed to clean things up. And, and that really is probably the singular most advancing principle in human health and longevity, because we went from a mean average life expectancy of just slightly greater than 40 years at the turn of the last century to our mean, mean average life expectancy being, being over 70 now. And the major reason for that was sanitation, nutrition, and hygiene improvements in our culture. 
not medicine. Now, medicine plays a role, so I don't want to discount the fact that we do have hospitals and, and medical therapies that are advantageous when we need them. Now, the third uh, cause of, of illness is the one that has really only recently started to gain a lot of traction, and that is um, what we call metabolic disorders, conditions that uh, fall under titles like uh, diabetes, dementia, cancer, atherosclerosis or heart disease, arthritis, and other autoimmune diseases. These are not disorders that have been traditionally uh, thought to be caused by an infection or by um, uh, being exposed to a bug of some type. So the question is, where do they come from? If they're not a consequence of infectious disease, where do they come from? And that, that's been the, uh, the question that for me <laughs> has been probably the driving force in my professional, maybe even personal life for the last um, seven decades. Because it's the understanding of the origin of those that leads us to recognize that if we understand their origin, most of these uh, are, I don't want to say um, completely preventable, but they're certainly to a great extent preventable, allowing a person to achieve their uh, potential, basically, their genetic potential. It's interesting when we talk about genetic potential, what does that mean? It means that within our genes, this uh, extraordinary legacy we got from our biological parents that tells us not what we are, but tells us what we could be. I want to emphasize that again. Our genes don't tell us what we are. They tell us what we could be. And in our genes are captured the magic of us at our best. Not just us at our worst, but us at our best. So our life principle is to find out how to unleash the us is at our best out of our genes and quiet down the us of our, of our least best so that it doesn't get a voice in who we are. And that is the question that I've been really dealing with, you know, with many, many other people. I'm certainly one of just literally hundreds of thousands of different people that are worried about this question. And the answer to that is that many of the things that we do every day, things we're exposed to, how we live, how we eat, how we interact with other people, our thoughts, our attitudes, our beliefs, our behaviors, um, are those magic things that actually modulate how we're going to be from what our genes give us the potential to be. So do we exercise? What foods do we eat? Do we sleep? Do we have good friends? Are we loved? Do we love? Do we have peace in our heart? Are we uh, avoiding exposure to bad stuff? Uh, bad stuff can be, you know, someone said to me, you can have toxic thoughts just like you can have toxic chemicals. And so all these things then become part of the wellspring of factors that are modifiable and, and uh, alterable if we understand how they influence our genes to create our health outcomes. And that has been then the, <clears throat> the conceptual framework for how I think uh, our function as, a, as an individual is determined. And I break function down into four categories. Our function can be our physical function, and we all know about that, musculoskeletal function, uh, flexibility, endurance, um, you know, the way our muscles are structured relative to our ligaments and tendons and bones, and all that architecture is related to our function and then how it gets powered up by uh, the energy of our body. So that's physical function. Second is metabolic function. And metabolic function are all the, the kind of things that a lot of us who are in this field spend a lot of time uh, studying, metabolism, how energy is converted into food, how the cells do their energy production process, how cells take energy from where they're produced to where they're needed, how it functions across all these organ systems, 
So that's our metabolic function, or some people would call it physiological function. The third is our cognitive function, how we think, how we see the world, how we transfer and transmit and, and, um, and process information. Um, and cognitive function is, is a functional capability that we would say, well, that's all in the brain, isn't it? No, it's not just solely in the brain. Our, our cognitive function, we would say, resides principally in the brain, but it, there are many other sites in our body that regulate and trans, transmit and control information. Uh, and then the last, the fourth um, quadrant I call of function is our behavioral or psychological or spiritual or however you want to see this function, however you want to call that. It's, it's um, how we incorporate our experience of living into how we see the world and how we address the world and, and how we uh, perform in the world, that behavioral function. Now, all four of those, if we think about them, roll up into our being, into our our whole. Uh, they're not one separate, like today we don't just worry about physical function and tomorrow we're going to worry about metabolic function. We're doing it all the time, all four of these things. They all uh, coincide to become us, to become who we are. And interestingly enough, all four of those functional characteristics are modifiable. You can, just like you can practice to be really good at a sport or good at a, a musical instrument or good at, at being an actor or an artist or whatever it would be, uh, you can become good at each of those four things if you know what to practice. And those four things, what you practice is related to who you individually are in your genes, not two people are identical. We are each unique facets on the diamond of life. There is never going to be a person exactly like us, and there never was in the past. We are uniqueness in the collection of, of, human, of human beings. And therefore, the expression of our uniqueness at the full expression of, of all of our uh, value proposition is going to depend on how we unleash these functional characteristics, our physical, metabolic, cognitive, and uh, behavioral function. And that's then the basis of functional medicine, saying let's focus less on what we call something Let's focus more on how we squeeze out the best of our function, because if we do, we won't worry so much about getting diseased, because we will be functioning at a very high level, and the body has its recovery re rehabilitative capabilities that if we give it the full things it needs, it can find a path to achieve very high levels of health. So that's, that's basically the functional medicine model. No, I love that. I love that so much, man. And I think this was one of the reasons why I was so excited about this conversation today, because your view, your perspective on health, on medicine, on life just runs so intertwined with the things that we believe here and try to, you know, also how I try to live out and walk out my life as well. You know, so I have a background in competitive bodybuilding. And obviously, a lot of people think bodybuilding is a physical thing, right? You got to go to the gym, train hard. And it's purely, I guess, maybe this first part of, of the function. But I can tell you, I really saw the greatest success when I really began to integrate all, all four of these. It's like when I understood the mental side of the game, like how to actually while training, get my mind into these muscles. Obviously, there's still the physical part there as well. But even tying in some of the behavioral side of things, like the need for meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, like it's all kind of intertwined. And I think, you know, your approach to medicine, your work as well is so intertwined with the things that we're trying to do here. Summarizing this like in a, in a single sentence, it sounds like functional medicine is a proactive approach to our health and our life, whereas a traditional Western type medicine is the reaction, right? You wait till you get sick, you seek out the doctor, he sees it through this little lens right here that he's been trained in to only see the world through one way. And he's like, okay, you have this, here's the solution. Whereas in the functional way, it's like, we do our best to try to prevent these things from happening. Would that be kind of inaccurate, just like 
single sentence to kind of sum it up? Yeah, Frank, I think you've, you've hit it. I think there's a part of this that everybody knows, um, and that is how does these how do these concepts get um, executed upon in our society? You know, what what are the institutions, the devices, the procedures, the policies, programs by which these concepts, these big concepts that we're describing, get implemented in people's lives? And our model today that we call healthcare, I think we would both, you and I would agree, and probably most of your viewers would agree, is a disease care system. It's a very, very sophisticated and very capable disease care system. So I don't want to paint it as being something bad. It's quite good. But we call it a healthcare system. It's actually not a healthcare system. It is a disease care system. Now, it, the assumption has been that if you don't have a disease, you're healthy. So the concept is the absence of disease is the definition of health. I think any human being that's lived in this planet for a certain number of years and has gone through the experience of life would say, no, hold it. Health and the absence of disease are not exactly the same things. I can have days where I am not diseased, but I don't feel healthy. <laughs> I feel low energy. I feel depressed. I feel sick. I feel uh, in, incapable of doing what I need to do. Um, those things are measurements of health at a different standard than just the absence of disease. And by the way, likewise, there are individuals that may have a disease, but actually feel quite healthy because they're living a fully expressed life. And you know they, they can live with some of the stuff because all the other things are so good. So the construct of health and disease to me needs to be re-explored. And so what we are talking about in functional medicine is a model that really begs the question for each one of us. And that is how do we both aspire and then execute on the principle of health? Health then to me is maximizing the capability in those functional areas, those four functional areas, to be fully capable of doing what we want to over the course of 100 years of living. I just chose 100 years because it's a nice round number. I think the human being is easily capable in its genes of living 100 years of healthy living with the pro proper practices and the proper procedures that we would execute upon. And you know, you use bodybuilding as, a, as a, an example, and I think it is a great example. I have a number of, um, of good friends who have been either professional or semi-professional um, individuals in, in uh, body sculpting, body uh, in, in competitive weightlifting. And if you know them as you do, like yourself, they're very spiritual individuals. They have deep introspective concepts about how their commitment, sometimes many, many hours a day of excruciating work, translates to them being uh, feeling as fully human and the capability that they have a spiritual belief in the importance of all these things that we do to create who we want to be. Well, here's the interesting about this, this conversation that we're having here right now, kind of piggybacking off of, you know, you know people that don't feel uh, any form of disease or sickness, yet they are ill and sick, yet there's also the ones that have the symptoms, yet they're fully healthy. I think the bodybuilding or the fitness industry has done a horrible job in, in, in some ways of almost glamorizing these as like truly aesthetic, you know, like the dialed in peeled. Look, I know firsthand, like it is not healthy in those final weeks leading up to a show. You sacrifice certain things to get there because you're trying to push your body to its genetic potential, but it's not really the healthiest thing for a human, a human being. Yet I think so many people walking around will see that person that's got the shredded six pack, that's got striations in their shoulders. And like, that's the model of the health. So it's almost like the message is not being presented in 
the healthiest way for the consumer because if that's healthy, I can never get there, right? Because I'm not willing to do the necessary things. Maybe I hold a belief that I don't have the genetics to do it. So I'll never be as healthy as that person. When in reality, yes, they are sometimes really spiritual, but also sometimes they're they're really struggling on the mental side of things. They're really struggling from the physical side of things. What's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I, I You know, th- there's this concept that travels through the health literature going way, way back, maybe even to Hippocrates, if we want to go back that far, a couple thousand years. And that is about balance, the term balance. Because balance, when we're in balance, and let me use a metaphor that I've used in my own life uh, about what balance means. And this was a gift that I was given when I first started as a, as a junior professor in 1970. That was my first year of starting my professional life as a, as a professor of environmental science and chemistry. And one of my students, who was, in the, was an art major, actually, uh, gave me a book. And that book was entitled Centering. And it was a book supposedly about pottery. And I was interested at that point in learning how to throw pots. And, and, and this uh, student said, I think you'd really enjoy this book because you're a pretty philosophical guy. And this is a little bit more than just pottery. So see what you think. Well, to make a long story short, the book was about why, why it's called Centering is that when you're on a wheel trying to make some piece of ceramics uh, from clay, you better make sure that when you put that clay on the wheel, that it's right in the center of the wheel. Because if you don't put it in the center of the wheel, and it will not be perfectly balanced. And if it's not perfectly balanced, you're going to work really, really hard to try to make a final um, piece of art with that clay as it's spinning around. It's, you're going to work 10 times more hard to make something that would be considered um, a good work of art versus if you got that same piece of clay centered directly in the proper place on the wheel that's spinning. And so the metaphor for living is, are we centered? Did we lay our clay down on our wheel of life in a place that when we turn that on and we run the, the 24-7 life that we're all leaving, that we don't have to work so hard to keep the clay from flying off the wheel? We can then sculpt it into the uh, ornate final picture that's us in ways that would be what our aspiration is without constantly having to work so hard. And that, that's the concept of balance. That's the concept of resilience. It's not the concept of an Adonis perfection. It's the concept of where we are in our balance. It gives us the greatest resilience against the stuff in life that wants to take us down. And that, to me, is the essence of what true wellness and health really represents. Yeah, it's so beautifully stated. Um, I want to circle back to one of the things you kind of shared right there at the opening, which was the three major reasons why people get sick. Um, you talked about the the result of injury, right? Some of these things are out of our control, you know, especially if you're somebody that really lives, you know, an aggressive kind of life and you're kind of out there always, you know, pushing, you know, just pushing it to the limits, right? So that kind of sits out here kind of in this box. But I think maybe the other two are somewhat maybe connected, you know, this infectious and then the metabolic disorder. And I think this will kind of get us into the conversation, which I know you're really excited about, which is our immune health. Is there a direct correlation from somebody that, and I think we saw this in, you know, four years back with COVID, right? Is there a direct connection between those that are metabolically disordered? I don't know if that's the proper way to say that, being more susceptible to infectious diseases. Oh boy, that's beautiful. And yes, disordered is a great term, a great word. So now you're on the the frontier of where I think biomedical sciences is now going. And, uh, and maybe it was accelerated as a, con- well, I don't, probably not maybe, it was accelerated as a consequence of SARS-CoV-2 because everyone started to ask the question, 
Why is it that in the United States, we, as presumably the healthiest country in the world, at least we would like to think we are, we spend twice the amount on healthcare per capita of the second country in the world. Twice the amount per capita. Yes. And as a consequence, you would expect that we, when confronted with the virus, SARS-CoV-2, would have the best outcome. It would still create some problems, but we would probably expect to have the best outcome. Yet, if you look at the developed countries of the world, the United States had the worst outcome. We had the most, most death, we had the most hospitalization, intubation of any country per capita. And it was not a consequence that we're the oldest country in the world. It wasn't just, oh, we're older, so we got more sick. No, that was not the problem. The problem was there was something going on that made us more susceptible, that made us more imbalanced <laughs> with regard to our defense against that virus. And what is our defense? Our defense is in our immune system. Our immune system works 365, 24-7 on a search and, and destroy mechanism for us to protect us against all sorts of things. Uh, viruses, bacteria, protists, um, uh, fungi, all sorts of critters that might like to take us over because we're a nice warm space with a lot of sh you know, things that they could live off of. Uh, secondly, our body may have cells within our body that get uh, deformed. Some people call these zombie cells or cells that are uh, carrying bad memories that want to create uh, injury. Normally, our body has the ability to get rid of them if our immune system is working well. If our immune system is not working well, then these, these mutant cells, these injured cells, can have a life and they themselves can become our own peril. We can have innocent bystander injury to our own damaged cells. So our immune system is doing work all the time, whether we know it or not, 24-7. And actually, our immune system, which is made up of uh, many hundreds of different types of cells, um, but it, we think of it floating around in the bloodstream as our white blood cells, but these, uh, these immune cells actually reside in virtually every organ of our body, have, have function, including the muscles and including the brain. The brain has its own immune system. And so if our immune system is not working appropriately, if it's imbalanced, uh, dysfunctional, uh, then what happens is uh, things can slip through uh, our barriers of defense, and now we can start to become the victim from the things in the outside and inside world. So our immune system and our nervous system are the first two places in our body that are seeking out what's going on outside and inside the body and telling the rest of the body how to behave. So if we have an immune system that is not quite up to par, it's, um, we're, not, we're not getting colds and flu all the time, but it's actually not able to do all the things that's necessary to defend us against the myriad of different types of uh, encounters that we will experience in life. Then what happens, we have unexpected illness. Now I've always, going even back to elementary school, when I was in elementary school, I remember coming home about the third grade and asking my, my mother, I said, you know, a lot of kids are out of school now, they're absent because they have the have a very serious cold or the flu, it's going around. And so the absenteeism in school is very high. But I wonder why is it some of us are still in school? We, are, we were exposed to the same things. And why didn't we get it? Why are we still in school? And, you know, <laughs> my mother said, well, that's because people have different immunity, immunities. That's true. But then the question is, well, what does that mean? What does it mean, different immunities? Is it all just because you were born with different immunities? Or is it because you've trained different immunities? Or does it mean because you're supporting your immune system in different ways? By the way, the answer to that is all three of those. 
And so the question then becomes today a dominant question. As we know, we're going to be exposed to more pandemics. We're going to be exposed to more uh, funny bugs. We're going to be exposed to more chemicals. We're going to be exposed to more stress. All these things uh, are uh, impinging upon our immune system, and we better have a really robust, resilient, healthy immune system. And we're, we haven't focused on this at all. We just have taken our immune system for granted. Oh, you know, it'll, it'll follow along whenever I need it. It's going to be there. And that model is just not good enough. Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive real real deep here uh, from this point on. But uh, great great story there, and there's the early signs, right, of a uh, of a scientist, you know, turned doctor, and he's you know that one probably event early on in childhood has you know set the pathway for, I would assume, all the work that you're doing. Maybe you can't pinpoint it directly to that, but I'm sure that early influence conversation on a young boy's brain and mind definitely began to pique that curiosity that now you've dedicated your life and have helped hundreds of thousands, not millions of people in understanding these things. And your company, Big Bold Health, their mission is to transform the way that people think about their immune system. What is it that is broken about the current model in regards to the way that we look at immune health? Yes, I, I think, Frank, that the, the current model is a model that's what I call very passive. Uh, it just says we, I think almost everyone would say, yes, I know I have an immune system. And I know my immune system does something to protect me against getting sick. Um, but I don't really have any control over our immune system. Therefore, I'm, I'm a victim of my immune system, rather than saying I'm in charge of my immune system. <laughs> because we can be in charge of our immune system. But just like any skill that we want to develop in life, we have to work at it. Uh, we have to know what to do and then do it and practice it. Uh, the same is true for our immune system. Let me give a little factoid that probably most people are not aware of. Our immune cells that, that make up our immune system turn over about every three to four months. So the immune system that we will have, let's say four months from now, is not the exact same immune system we have today because it depends on what those new cells that come from the old cells, what they're gonna look like. So those cells could be the same as, they could be better than, or they could be worse than in terms of their functional capability. And our immune system collects experiences. So if you've had a very serious uh, viral infection, your immune system remembers you've had that viral infection, and it captures that in your certain type of immune cells called your uh, lymphocytes that remember that. And that's basically how the concept of vaccination works, is it exposes you to something that gives a memory to your immune system to say, I remember that, and I, I'll, I don't have to go through the process of... Um, uh, of serious, I can, I, I can ameliorate the problem before it gets started. So the, the immune system has that capability. It has the capability to recreate itself. And it actually now, uh, uh, recent evidence from immunological research has shown that the immune system actually has the opportunity to rejuvenate itself. That's a term that we've been really kind of promoting recently, immunorejuvenation, immune rejuvenation. You can turn back the, the clock, the biological clock on your immune system by allowing your body to undergo the process that gets rid of the damage and uh, uh, rather than call them damage, let me call it the immune cells, they're carrying with them bad, bad messages, bad uh, memories, and replacing them with new uh, immune systems that are younger and more vital that don't carry those bad memories that are more capable of being resilient. That concept is called re uh, rejuvenation, immunorejuvenation. And the mechanism by which it occurs actually won a Nobel Prize in medicine just a few years ago. So it's a recent 
um, discovery in the biomedical sciences to understand how this is a two-way street. Yes, we can collect bad information in our immune system. Those are the bad memories. But it can also get rid of them. The, the other lane of the street is to go the other direction and to recreate new, naive, more capable immune cells that don't carry those bad memories. And it turns out, I'll give one last factoid, it turns out that of all the parameters that have been measured by researchers of, of longevity and uh, life expectancy, the most singular important definition of how long you will live is the age of your immune system. Now, you're going you're gonna to say, but, but Jeff, isn't, isn't the age of the immune system the same as the age of your birthdays? And, I, and I'm saying no. The age of your immune system can be greater than your age in birthdays or less than your age in birthdays or the same as your age in birthdays. That's called biological age. And there are now ways of measuring scientifically in the laboratory the age of our immune system. And what we have been studying in our research at Big Bull Health is can we affect the age of the immune system by intervening with a functional medicine concept? And I'm happy to report, we'll have a scientific article coming out soon. We've got the data uh, from a clinical trial we finished uh, earlier in the year, uh, last year, that shows you can actually roll back the age of your immune system, make it younger by intervening with the right stuff. And the right stuff is the right diet, the right thoughts, the right exercise, the right sleep. Um, it's, it, these are not magic things. These are things that are accessible to everybody. It's just knowing when and how to do it. That is the magic of our age, rolling back the immune system. Yeah, you answered what was going to be my follow-up question there before I even even got to it. Because when you when you when you talked about the immune re, uh, rejuvenation and then turning back the biological clock, like this kind of aha went off. Like there's got to be direct tie here to anti-aging, to longevity. And I'm glad we're kind of here right now and talking about how we can kind of be in control of some of these things. You know, you listed off a couple of things there: diet, uh, supplements. You know, I'm sure lifestyle uh, plays plays a big role in this. Training components. Is there a, I guess, would you call it hierarchy of these levers that we can pull that are going to enable us to go through the process of immunorejuvenation without having, you know, somebody like yourself and getting into lab and, and, and having like, so the average person listening to this right now, what should they be looking at? Is there, is there a hierarchy of these things? Yeah, thank you. That, that's exactly the question and actually the reason why Big Bull Health was formed because I was asking that question myself. What are the ways that we can translate this high-level science <clears throat> down to user-friendliness in, in ways that people can implement this um, in their daily lives, in ways that are not overly expensive, that are not uh, putting them to cruel and unusual types of things they would have to do? Um, and that was really the reason that I assembled this, this group uh, about three years ago, Big World Health, uh, to try to really find, is there a, is there a lesson plan that we can develop that is implementable. And I think we're getting there. Uh, I think that this research that we just did, which validated that we could make a person's immune system younger over the course of three months, which is a pretty short period of time, um, was, was very encouraging. Now, if you ask me the hard question, have we answered all the questions? Is this irrefutable? Uh, are we gonna win a Nobel Prize for this discovery? Or is this like the first steps on a path that will get us to greater and greater abilities to own our immune system, I, I would say it's probably the latter. We're, we're, we're seeing a breaking down of an old model and a creation of a new opportunity. But I would say we will follow this very closely over the years to come because this is going to be a revolutionary change in the way people manage their bodies. Now, let's talk about what we've learned. 
That's the question is, where does the tire meet the road? So we came to the recognition that there are, uh, and this is not just our work, there, there are literally hundreds of other groups, scientists, scientists have been working on this question as well. Uh, fortunately, our work tended to validate and be um, consistent with other people's work, so we weren't totally an outlier. Uh, but we found that there are what we call three pillars or, or three categories of things that really make a, a very big difference on the age of our immune system. Each one of these has some granularity, and you know, I could dig deep into them and probably get into geekism here and, and overwhelm. So I'll try to keep it on a, on a level of uh, uh, first level exposure. So what are the three things? Uh, in, in no necessary order of priority, I think they're all three are equally important. So uh, the first one is uh, what we call a, a diet that is um, rich in colors of the rainbow. Now, I'm talking about, uh, that's obviously natural colors. I'm not talking about synthetic dyes. <laughs> so these are- No red sevens um, or yellow fives or any of that <laughs> exactly. stuff. Exactly. So these are foods that carry natural colorants in them, and, and, and these are plant foods, basically. So, uh, so these would be fruits and vegetables and, and legumes. And why are these important? And what are, what are about them that gives them a characteristic that's associated with immune health? Well, we would say, you know, gee whiz, the, the colorants in those plants must be related to something in those plants that make them colored. And what are those? Um, we call them phytochemicals, plant-derived chemicals. Um, and they fall into a whole variety of different families. I won't, um, I won't go through all the, uh, the families, but let's just say that the, they, the family that has been recently found to be most associated with the age of our immune system are called polyphenols. Polyphenols um, are members of the polyphenol uh, have names flavonoids, and people are probably familiar with flavonoids as a, as a nutrient. Now, it turns out that there are literally thousands of different polyphenols in different plant foods. Some uh, plant foods have unique um, composition of these polyphenols that's very, very high in number and in amount. And these are plants that, interestingly enough, have grown up and historically are found in various stressed environments around the world. Now, why would that be? And when I say stressed, I mean hot and cold climates, bad soil, um, uh, exposed to a lot of sun so they can get easily sunburned. <laughs> you know, think of a corn plant. If you were a, a corn plant and you were stuck in the ground in Iowa uh, and had to have your arms stuck out all day, 24-7 for the whole growing season, what would you look like? You have no place to hide, no sunshade, no, you, you would be a disaster. So the plants have to develop all these defensive mechanisms to defend themselves from bugs and they can't run away and hide. They can't take medicines. So they have developed these defensive substances and the plants that are most stressed have evolved over millennia to have the highest defensive substances. Now those defensive substances happen to be the plant's immune system. Yes, plants have immune systems. And in fact, there's an analogy to the way the plant's immune system works to that the way a human immune system works, at least on the first level of defense called the innate immune system. And, and this study of plant immunity is, is, has gone on um, along with uh, discoveries that are being made about human immunity. And the, and the crossover between the two is quite remarkable. So plants that are growing up in very hostile environments um, are plants that have survived over uh, years of genetic uh, selection to have extraordinarily adept immune systems. And it turns out that their polyphenols and flavonoids are extraordinarily rich and they're specific in composition for the protection of their immune system. 
so that that plant can live in that hostile environment successfully. Now, maybe ironically, I don't think it's ironically, I think it's uh, nature purpose, that when a human eats that plant and takes those nutrients into their body that were defending the plant's immune system, lo and behold, they're the same nutrients to defend the human immune system. Now, that's a powerful story if you think about that. Now, interestingly enough, when the food processing industry grew up, this was post-World War II, coming off of, of the rations that our service people were, were eating during the war because they had to be shelf-stable food. So that was the birthing of the processed food industry were the rations used during World War II. And the concept was that these coloring agents in foods, these flavonoids and these polyphenols, were kind of like, who needs them? They just uh, were kind of a problem. They had an off taste to the food when it was uh, pasteurized. And so the processing food industry took them, took them out, threw them away, actually made them pet foods. So we ended up with springy healthy pets and we ended up with people that weren't getting these, uh, these nutrients in their foods because it, they weren't considered to be important. It was only in the last couple of decades, probably even less than that, where the nutrition scientists started to say, now hold on just a minute, you said these weren't important because they're not like vitamins, you can't find scurvy or very, very pellagra uh, in their absence. So, you said they're not important, but actually now we're seeing they are important because they're the, the masters that control how the genes of our bodies express the function of our immune system. And so by not putting them in our foods and not allowing them to be in our foods by heavy processing, we've taken out one of the really important health insurance policy uh, constituents from our daily diet. So now we're starting to see that these, these, um, these diets that are minimally processed, that are rich in these uh, polyphenols, and specifically containing foods that are grown in environments where they're a little bit more stressed. And that led us in Big Bold Health to a, a, a discovery that I never thought in my life I actually uh, would make. It was a serendipitous dis discovery that there is a ancient food. It's actually one of the two oldest foods that's been husbanded in the world. It's uh, 4,000 years old that it's been husbanded by humans and it's called tartary buckwheat. And it, uh, the, the tartary buckwheat grown in the Himalayan uh, regions of, uh, of Asia is a 4,000 year old food that happens to have the highest level of these immune strengthening polyphenols and flavonoids of any known food. And it actually is a food eaten by people who live in what uh, Dan Buettner called the blue zones. Maybe you're familiar with that. The blue zones are areas of the world where people live to be 100 and are still healthy. Uh, and so the, the concept that there are foods that have naturally evolved over long periods of time to have these immune strengthening nutrients at a very, very high level has been a focus of what we've been trying to explore in Big Bold Health. So we became very interesting, interested in this Himalayan tartary buckwheat. By the way, tartary is uh, referring to the tartan region of the Himalayas. It's a region of northern China. And so Himalayan tartary buckwheat, we call it HTV for short, has the highest level of these immune strengthening nutrients. So we started to say, uh, or ask the question, who is growing Himalayan tartary buckwheat in the United States? And lo and behold, uh, we found that there was only one person that we could find that was growing Himalayan tartary buckwheat in the United States. And that turned out to be a former uh, ag research professor from Cornell University who had retired. He was in Angelica, New York with his wife, a former nurse, and they had a hobby farm when they kind of retired 
and they, because of their work on plant genetics, uh, they had found these seeds. It's a little bit like Jack and the Beanstalk story. These seeds that had been given to them by a friend from the U.S. Department of Agriculture from their seed bank, that when they grew them up, turned out to be, it only had a number on the seed pack, so they didn't know what they were. But when they finally grew them up, it turned out to be Himalayan tartary buckwheat. And, it, and they found it to be a very interesting crop. So they, they had several acres, eventually expanded it to a small group of, of uh, acres, about 20 acres. And they were the only people growing it. And then they were they put a, a, a mill together, were milling it and selling the flour out at roadside stands in, in the summer. And his wife was making recipes. It was really fun. So we, um, we, we made connection with them. Over the years now, Angelica Farms or Angelica Mills now is part of Big Bull Health. We have um, put the wisdom of the of Sam and Lucia Beer together with uh, with our interest in the immune system, and that was the formation of Big Bull Health. And now we have a group of organic certified farmers that are growing for the first time organically certified Himalayan tartary buckwheat. We have an uh, artisanal miller in Trumansburg, New York, that was our part of our team, and we have a food lab that's developing recipes and many plans, working with chefs around the country. And we are bringing this crop back to the United States that has been lost for probably 200 years. And we just finished our clinical research showing that we can lower the age of the immune system when people incorporate the uh, polyphenols from Himalayan tartary buckwheat in their, in their daily routine. So this is a, just an example of how we're pulled sometimes into things just through curiosity and, and, and asking questions. Yeah, that's amazing. Um... <clears throat> So the three categories here of uh, the factor of the age of the immune system, I think we uh, uncovered the first one here, the diet of colors of, of the rainbow, the, the next two. So uh, the, the next one is um, pre and probiotics, the gut microbiome. Uh, I started talking about the gut microbiome to doctors in 1985. I can't believe it, how, how, much, how much time has gone by. My first lecture to doctors uh, on the microbiome was called dysbiosis and leaky gut. It was 1985. And um, we started to really develop an understanding of the uh, important role that this living community in our gut, which, be, by the way, weighs three to four pounds, uh, our gut microbiome, those bugs in our gut are a substantial part of our overall body's chemistry. And uh, they produce their own secondary byproducts depending on their composition. There are literally hundreds of different types of bacteria. Some are, are called symbiotic. They do work for us. It's beneficial. Some are called commensals. They take up space and, and, and provide a safe environment. And then there is the third category that are called parasitic. And those are the ones that we don't want because they produce a lot of funny mischief in our gut that have adverse impact on our immune system. They cause inflammation. They lead to premature aging. Uh, they cause uh, oh, insulin resistance and correlate themselves with obesity. So these particular bugs, not good, parasitic, what we want is to have the right balance of the symbiotic and commensal bacteria, a healthy microbiome. And those are fed by their own food, which we call prebiotics. So proper prebiotics, which are non-digestible fibers. And that's another interesting part of the Himalayan tartary buckwheat story, because it turns out it has a very high level of the proper prebiotic fibers in it that help to uh, functionally restore a healthy microbiome. We actually have a product called Microbiome Rejuvenate that is uh, incorporating those that won the uh, Immune Product of the Year Award in 2023. So the second are pre and probiotics, how it relates to a healthy microbiome. And then the last is omega-3 fatty acids. These, um, these what we, we used to call fish oils, but we can find omega-3s in, in uh, plant oils as well as alpha-linolenic acid. 
And so those uh, omega-3s uh, that also contain these uh, pro-resolving mediators, uh, these very powerful anti-inflammatory compounds that are in, in minimally processed omega-3 oils, uh, are our body's arsenal of defense that work as the third pillar, along with the pre and probiotics and the plant uh, flavonoids that I mentioned, to put together a immune rejuvenation kind of program. And that's what we focus on in our uh, in our Big Bold Health. You know, people can go to our website, uh, Big Bold Health, and and get all sorts of information about each of these individual uh, components. Yeah, guys, and we will link down um, all of Dr. Bland's links, his companies, his socials, everywhere you can connect with him. If obviously you want to explore the things that they're doing over there at Big Big Bold Health, we opened up at the beginning, kind of talking about these five factors, or maybe four. So the physical, metabolic, and this was obviously tied to the disease. But I'm curious. Outside of some of these nutritional things, you know, we're talking diet here, eating in rainbow colors, the prebiotics tied to diet, more supplementation, omega-3, you can obviously get them from certain foods, but obviously you can take supplements there as well. Are there certain lifestyle factors uh, that play a role into the health of somebody's immune system? Yes, there are. And uh, I, I put it in order of priority. I, I think first of all, and this, this is right in your sweet spot, you're a master of this, and that's programmed exercise, strength and endurance and flexibility. Um, I, I think the exciting part of the story for me is as much as we'd like all people to really act, have very high activities and maybe be on training programs, the, re, the reality is uh, many people just don't have that interest. And, and so how do you make it as easy as possible? And as easy as possible starts, I think, with a regular activity program that's as simple as walking. <laughs> and there are now clinical studies that have been done uh, it's called the Nurses' Health Study, in which the exercise program was a half an hour of walking a day. And it was found that there was a significant improvement in all health outcomes by just introducing a walking program. Now, can you do better than a walking program? Of course you can. But if you wanted to just say, where do I start? It could be a walking program. It could be walking on a treadmill. It could be walking in the mall. It could be walking your dog. It could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be endurance related to pushing you to the max. Now, clearly, the, the more uh, resistance you have in your exercise and, and the more uh, you can raise your, your pulse into your training zone, uh, the more value you'll, you'll probably get. But if you want to just get 50% or more of the value, start walking <laughs> That's or, or swimming or a stationary bicycle or uh, anything that uh, allows you to to be moving uh, to increase your pulse and to improve your your uh, the message to your muscles to improve their their status. Um, so exercise would, would be first on my list. Secondly, not fall far after that is sleep and sleep hygiene, not just sleep duration but also sleep quality. And so. Fortunately, now we have a variety of different biometric monitors, wearables that people can use to help to monitor their sleep, uh, and, and it can be a good instruction. I think the the uh, key here is not to get sleep anxiety. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, are are so um, concerned about their sleep that they work themselves up to the point that they can't sleep. The concept is don't don't do anything of intellectual tax tax uh, taxing activities uh, an hour before you go to bed. Start to wind down. Start. Don't uh, have a lot of alcohol and food a couple hours before you want to go to bed. Uh, simple things that people know about that um, you have to put those rules of reasonableness into action. Because if you can improve your sleep, so you're getting uh, on average around seven hours 
of sleep, of which the majority of that is high quality sleep. So something like um, a half an hour a night, at least maybe an hour or more of deep sleep, your body during that period of time is regenerating itself. That's your brain's rejuvenation program. Your brain will rejuvenate itself when it has the opportunity for proper sleep because that's the garbage collecting time. Your brain is doing garbage collecting uh, during the times of regenerative sleep. So sleep, exercise, nutrition are kind of the three things that all of us should be putting on our to-do list for 2024. Yeah, I love that. Um, this one may be hard to hard to answer, and it might just be, I don't even know if you'd be able to collect data on something like this, but clearly for you, this work that you do is such a deep-rooted passion. I mean, you can hear it in the, the, the way that you describe these things, your ability to go deep on these. I mean, you've been researching and educating and talking on these subjects longer than I've been on this planet and probably the vast majority of our audience as well. And I'm assuming that plays a role into kind of the youthfulness that, you know, you have about, about life. What role, if any, does a healthy pursuit of a passion or a purpose in life play in the health of our immune system? <laughs> well, I think uh, you've answered your, your own question. That's a fantastically important question. Um, I think purpose and direction. And what I would say with purpose, uh, I believe very strongly in um, the work that was done by the, the person who's credited with developing the concept of stress. I, I don't know if you know the name Hans Selye. Hans Selye was a uh, physiological researcher at McGill University uh, that was the first person to, to, to take the term from physics, which was stress, and move it into physiology. And so he started talking about, from all the research he did uh, over many years and published on animals that were uh, subjected to various types of changes, um, that he termed that stress. And he said that the body has an adaptive system for managing stress. Um, it, this, that system is what we call the HPA system, the hypothalamus pituitary uh, in the brain, and then the adrenal glands in our, that sit on our kidneys that HPA axis controls or regulates or responds to stress. And then that is connected into the gonadal component. So it's HPATG. So it's hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, thyroid, and gonads. So if a person under um, female or male is under high stress, it alters their sex steroid hormones. So they have different uh, levels of androgens. That could be testosterone or progesterone, or in case of uh, uh, estrogens, estrogen, estradiol. So stress hormones alter sex steroid hormones. They alter thyroid hormones. So now we get into a metabolic disturbance. If you start um, uh, influencing all of those regulatory hormones, your body now is thrown into imbalance. So the, the construct is when we start asking about purposeful life, what is it? And so Hans Selle talked about the way to combat stress was to develop a lifestyle that was focused on what he called altruistic egoism. Now, let me say what, what I think that means, altruistic egoism. He said, you have to think enough of yourself that you're worthy of being healthy and being totally functional. If you don't feel worthy, then you're never going to be healthy because you never feel you deserve it. You're always feeling like you're an imposter. You're always feeling like you're having to make up ground because you're somehow didn't do right. So first you have to see yourself worthy of being 
successful, being good, being healthy. Then once you've gotten that, then you need, you need to use that energy of self-confidence, of egoism, to put it into your altruistic output to help others. That altruistic egoism allows you to have a complete purposeful life because you take your positive energy, and as you're doing with this podcast, you're creating opportunities for others to experience joy or purpose in their lives or find paths to success. And that makes your life and their lives purposeful. And that is the way that societies grow and evolve with health. That's so beautiful. And I think it, I think it connects back to one of the things that you opened up when we got into the conversation around the immune system is that we are not a victim to any of this. We have the ability to take ownership and responsibility, but only through this altruist, altruistic egoism can we live that out? Because if we're lacking that, then the responsibility would never, like it's something we'd never be able to take on ourselves, right? Because we're, we're living outside of this box here and we're a victim to these things that happen. So I love how we started here at the beginning, open up with this holistic approach. We dove deep into the immune system, how we are in control. We unpacked a lot of things here for the audience that kind of have as takeaways and things that they can kind of explore a little bit deeper on. I obviously want to point them to all the work that you're doing. And then we looped it back around here through the conversation. It's like such a beautiful puzzle that we put together here, right? Well, you, you put it together. I just had the opportunity to kind of fill in the gap. So thank you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have been able to do it uh, without your uh, without your work and expertise, Dr. Lynn. This has been an absolute honor here. At the time of the recording, uh, it's it's early 2024. What does what does a year look like? Obviously, you mentioned a couple of things that you guys have coming up with some of the published articles and the research and obviously the big, bold health. What's kind of big on the forefront for you guys over there coming this year? Well, I think that the biggest thing for me um, is really kind of an extension of what, we, what we've been talking about. And it's it's under the title epigenetics above our genes, because I think many people feel they're victims of their genes, that they're, they didn't fill out an application card, right? They just got whatever they got from their biological mother and father, and they've had to work with it. And, and it's what we're starting to, to learn is that only about 30% of who we are as we grow up is, is hardwired into our genes. The other 70% is how we send message to our genes that creates how our genes are going to perform. That's called genetic expression. So that 70% is epigenetics. It's beyond the genes. It's something that is above the genes, that's telling the genes how to behave. We didn't change our genes. We just changed how they're going to express themselves into different functional characteristics. To me, this is the secret sauce. This is the magic that will produce a true healthcare system. Will take us away from a victim mentality to a, a mentality of advocacy where we're in charge. Once you're in charge of your life, you can do all sorts of magic things. If you're not in charge of your life, then you become a victim, and now all sorts of things happen to you, unfortunately, rather than being created by you. Yeah, happen happen to you as opposed to happening for you. And I'm sure we can all, you know have have a, a point in our life where maybe we've seen some of this, right? You see the family and there's that one kind of outlier. It's like, well, that's that guy's part of that same family over there. He maybe knew some of these things. You know, maybe it was the things that he exposed himself to, the people that it was in his network. He may have explored some books, some research, some of these things. And now the science is kind of catching up with what we've all been able to witness to see it out there in the world. Um, Dr. Bland, this has been absolutely beautiful uh, and impactful conversation for our audience here. Um, obviously, we're going to point everybody to Big Bold Health uh, as, as the main link down there. 
where can people connect with you? Are you hanging out anywhere socially online here these days? What's the best place for people to find out? Yeah, Jeffrey Bland, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y Bland, B-L-A-N-D.com. I, I have all my stuff that I've been doing for the last years available there. And um, love to continue conversation with anyone that's interested. We're, we got a lot of stuff ahead of us that I think is very exciting. Yeah, guys, make sure to check out uh, Dr. Jeffrey's work, uh, Big Bold Health as well. Last and final question here. Uh, Dr. Bland will be a little bit off topic here, but uh, obviously the title of our show is called The Superman Life. Maybe you'll figure out a way to kind of integrate the conversation that we had here into it. Uh, but, you know, I spent the last five years, obviously, interviewing experts and guys like yourself from all over the world. And I've been kind of putting together this belief of what I think living a Superman life is. And I think it's coming from the place that we are all here for a purpose. I'm a big believer that we weren't just here by accident. God put us on this earth in order to do something. And I think a lot of people that, that are listening right now hold that belief or hold that worldview. But if we just accept that we're here for, for a reason, for a purpose, and don't do anything about it, we're missing a big part of the, of the puzzle here. I think once we're intentional about gathering this information, elevating ourselves, going above our you know, potential or reaching for our full potential to bring that purpose, to bring it to the service of others, to make the world a better place. In my opinion, or my definition, that's living a superhuman life. But I love to always get our guests take here. So as we bring today's conversation to a close, Dr. Blaine, how would you define living a superhuman life? It would be presumptuous of me to do anything after what you've just said, because it was absolutely the maxim, the mantra that guides me every day in my life. It, it, uh, you're totally on, on my target and or I'm on your target. And uh, I couldn't do a better job of saying what you just so eloquently presented. Well, I appreciate that, uh, Jeff. It's been an absolute honor, man. I look forward to uh, circling back and in, in, in doing this again and staying connected and uh, going deeper in some of the work that you guys are doing out there. Guys, make sure to connect with Dr. Bland. Make sure to connect with Big Bold Health. If you got value out of this episode, guys, you can support us in one of two ways. First off, if you're listening here on the audio side, Make sure to head over to Apple, head over to Spotify, wherever you are consuming, drop us a rating, drop us a review. But more importantly, if somebody that you know in your life needs to hear this conversation, maybe they're struggling with some of these things that we were unpacking here today, do us a favor and do them a blessing by sharing this episode with them. But for Dr. Bland of Big Bold Health, your host, Coach Frank Rich here. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>